Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a podcast where two brothers answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. John, did yep. you hear that the... No. That the... You did, actually. That oh. the, the... That someone beat Tetris? I did. <laughs> In fact, I broke this news to you. <laughs> but I want to talk about it because it's... I feel like there's a metaphor in it. Uh, oh, there is so many learn. metaphors in it. <laughs> so for those who don't know, Tetris is a 35-year-old video game released in the late 1980s when Hank and I were at our absolute peak of video game prowess. And Tetris's motto was from Russia with love because it was designed by a Russian video game designer right at this interesting moment when... Yep. What had long been the Cold War was beginning to thaw, as they yeah. said. Yeah, they made a whole movie about it. It was a real blockbuster. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. I thought that we were going to... I thought I was like, oh, man, there's no dad joke this week. But you were just waiting for it just, blockbuster. It was a slow burn. <laughs> so, anyway, people for about 30 years of the 35-year history of Tetris, maybe 25, people always thought basically the best you could ever do was get around a million points, which is when the, the game stops counting points. Okay, sure, sure. So that's one version of beating Tetris. Tetris yeah. is not designed to go past that point. Right. Uh, so you that's can keep playing, but it's yeah. not, you've, you've But it doesn't it. even count your score after that. It's called a max out. Okay. And- there was one guy, his name is Thor, and he claims to have gotten a max out. Is his name Thor? Is his name No, Thor. no, no. His real name okay. is Thor. And he claimed to have gotten a max out in like the early 1990s. And everybody was like, well, Thor is really good at Tetris, but that's probably didn't happen. Right. And people were like, oh, this picture's Photoshopped, whatever. This was before Photoshop, but, you know, we, we, there was already, <laughs> could, already doctoring do of images. It. Yeah. Yeah. And then... Over the last, like, 10 years, people have gotten really good at Tetris because uh, they can share information in a really open way through videos and stuff, and also yeah. through computer programming, like reverse engineering the Tetris 
code to understand what the game can and cannot do. And then uh, a few years ago, a new technique for moving the pieces was invented called rolling. Yeah. Which is invented by a guy I've named seen Cheese. It looks very weird. It's very weird. It's is his like, real name Cheese or is that a screen name? I think that might be a screen name. Great question, though. <laughs> but rolling really changes the game because now the game becomes playable even at the highest possible speed, which was always called the kill screen because for years it was believed that you couldn't really play on it. And so it was the screen that kind of killed your game no matter what. Right. The, okay. It, so, so, so there was a period of time when you could max out but you couldn't yep. beat the kill screen. Right. And so and then, and so te- Tetris is still beating you at that point. Even though exactly. you can get more points than it can count, it still yeah. can kill you. Yeah. And, and ultimately, the way every game of Tetris until last week ended, I mean, every single game that's been played in all of the history of the game, the, the billions or whatever of games that have been played, they all end with Tetris winning. You know, your blocks stack up to the top of the screen and the game is over because you can no longer place blocks because that's the end of the game and you lost. You always lose. That's always what's been beautiful about Tetris could you, in some ways. Could, is there a way to like get to a point where you are good enough that you can keep... Like, if I, like if you just kept it at a level one speed, I could yeah. just play forever, right? Right. Is there right. a way to do that, to just play forever? Is that how well, you beat Tetris, that, John? That started to become the question. Can you just play forever at this incredibly, impossibly high speed with this new technique of rolling, Right. And so a bunch of people draw like you wouldn't be beating Tetris, but Tetris wouldn't be beating you. Right. And Game Boy Tetris is like that. Like you can play the top level of Game Boy Tetris for hours um, if you're really good at Tetris. And 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 so people started to think like, well, maybe NES Tetris is like this as well for the original Nintendo Entertainment System. And then someone discovered that if you make it to like level 256 or something. Like if you mm-hmm. make it to, to having played over a thousand lines at this impossible speed, then- Is that, is that like a thousand lines at the impossible speed? Is that basically like you could go forever? I or- mean, yeah. If you can go that long, you can go forever. It's just like, but you you can't make even one mistake in right. 40 minutes So eventually of it'll get you. That's always been the thought. But then somebody discovered that if you make it all the way- to where the game starts to break itself. The game's code starts to not be able to handle what you're what you're throwing at it. Like you're so right. good so that the like game numbers. never imagined this possibility. Right, right. It's like the Y2K bug, but for Tetris. Exactly. Lines. So the first thing that happens is that the colors get really weird. There's all these new colors that have never been seen before. The game gets pink. <laughs> the game gets gray. The game gets orange. You know, the, the game compl- starts to freak out. And then if you keep going through all these colors and you just keep playing and playing and playing, eventually, every time you get a single line, there's a 70% chance, uh, at least on certain levels, that the game will just crash. That the, but only it, if you get a single just, line, like you can't get a Tetris. You can't get a Tetris, you can't get a double, you can't get a triple. It just freezes, it crashes, and you've beaten Tetris. Like, instead of Tetris ending when it gets to the top of the screen, Tetris ended because you broke it. Right. So Tetris, like, of course, Tetris is not designed to be able to be beaten. There isn't, like, a you-did-it screen. Of course not. But this is the equivalent of that because this is the moment where instead of Tetris beating you, you play Tetris until it breaks. So, as of so last week, last week, a thirteen-year-old boy named Blue Scooty 
And yes, that is his real name. At oh. least for the purposes of this podcast, because we're not we're, we're not going to be talking about people. the real names of we're not doxing thirteen year olds. <laughs> a thirteen year old boy named Blue Scooty, um, and I, by the way, I was there for this. I don't were you brag. like in the room? Uh huh. Not in the physical room. No, I didn't. I didn't show up at his house. Um, <laughs> that's doxing, Hank. <laughs> I was in the Twitch room. Okay, and. Blue Scooty couldn't even be, a, he's not even like old enough, I don't think, to be a Twitch partner. So the only way to donate to him to celebrate this achievement was via PayPal. But anyway, um, Blue Scooty did it. He did it on the last possible line. Like his screen was filling up and like your screen can't get very high when you're at these speeds because sure. it just becomes impossible to move the pieces. Yeah. And it's hard to imagine he was going to get another line after this line. And so he had a 70% chance of beating the game for the first time in human history and a 30% chance of just losing like all the other billions of games sure, of Tetris sure. that have ever been played. Uh-huh. And he did it and it froze and he said, oh my God. And suddenly across the world of Tetris enthusiasts, which is a surprisingly large world, Everything went quiet as we realized that the impossible dream had come true. And Blue Scooty, this 13-year-old kid who, by the way, uh, lost his dad just uh, just a few weeks ago um, and who dedicated the, this, this to his dad, he achieved Tetris immortality, becoming the first person in human history not to be beaten by Tetris, but instead to break the game itself. It was so beautiful. It was such a profound moment. And I'm I've, just really grateful to have seen it. That's fantastic. I have goosebumps all over. And uh, I also feel like we just made an episode of Radiolab or like This American <laughs> Life. Like if this yeah, had had like no a little montages. bit more sound design. Yeah. Yeah, we needed a little more sound design. We needed it to last 40 minutes. There's a lot of history I didn't get into, you know, that I would have gotten into if it was an episode of Radiolab. But if Radiolab wants to have me on to talk about the history of NES Tetris, like, I don't need to prep. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it's like when they had me on to talk about geoengineering, I was like, right. Yeah, exactly. You're just like, call anytime. I am prepared. Yeah, I actually did prep for that. Um, but I bet I bet I could email Lulu and I could make that happen, John. That sounds like a fantastic story. I um, will tell it anytime. That's very, very cool. Uh, and also I feel like is a real good structure for a story. That's the kind of story that if if we were to remake the Nerdfighteria newsletter into an actual newsletter would be a great story for the newsletter. Yeah. John. That's true. And you've just been talking about remaking the Nerdfighterian newsletter. We were just talking about it because I I have been thinking that it could be something uh, that's more like thought through, you know? Um, Yeah. Yeah. What I want the Nerdfighterian newsletter to be really is like almost like a hub for Nerdfighteria a way of checking in. And right now, let's be honest, we it's mostly marketing. Yeah, there's this problem. Uh, we've been doing this for a long time. You just made a video that we've been doing it for 17 years, which yeah. uh, is older than many YouTubers. 
and and that's enough time to sort of examine the 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 actual reasons why I get drawn into creating and and making things on different platforms. And I also mm-hmm. have friends who like make things only on their own platforms. So they've just got like a blog, they make right. their blog, they do it, they control it or they have like their YouTube channel but then they have their newsletter and because they are better people than me. <laughs> Maybe. Cuz I like I Create. You need that hit of public. I need that hit. You That's need that like, hit of anybody could see this and they might hate it. And then they're going to yeah. get mad at me or they might love it and become a fan of me. I get like, to see just, how fast the numbers change in comparison ooh, to the last time I did it. Ooh, that's a good one. That's yeah. a that's a big that's a big hit. Are they, gonna, are they moving the faster or are they moving slower? Uh, I kind of got over that. Part of being a tuberculosis influencer, Hank, is that you just have to get over <laughs> The idea that the numbers are going to move fast. Yeah. Like if I make a, if I make a TikTok about tuberculosis that gets a million views, or if I make a TikTok about tuberculosis that gets 10,000 views, I feel the exact same, which is <laughs> I made a TikTok about tuberculosis that got 10,000 views. <laughs> this is either of those are a lot more than the zero attention tuberculosis was getting two years ago. Well, it was getting attention. It just wasn't getting enough attention. Yes. So anyway, um, but it's, you a, were it's saying. a big gap. I, I, so I, like, I understand this about myself now. And this podcast has actually, like, we get a lot less feedback about the podcast than we do about a YouTube video and certainly than about uh, a tweet. Um, yep. And, and I think that, like, it's really true that social media, that, like, content platforms pay people to create in numbers going up. Like that's one of yep. the primary forms of payment. And this is one of the reasons why people created on TikTok a lot is because you could see, oh my God, I got a million views on that TikTok. But like, did you? Or did you get like a million people watched two seconds of it? Because that is the mm-hmm. cutoff for counting a view. And mm. so sometimes that might be a million people watching a minute, but sometimes it's a million people watching for two seconds and then swiping and moving on. And, right. uh, and and so, like, this metric that meant one thing on YouTube, everyone was like, oh, that means the same thing on TikTok. Or, it, like, that's, right. that's how your brain feels. And, uh, and so y- a lot of people started creating on TikTok because it felt like they could – it was – and it was also. It's a better engine for discovery than YouTube. But it – it, it that, that is the – like, I recognize that even me, a 43-year-old man who's been doing this for 17 years – I still the the numbers going up fast is a big part of why I do it. It feels I, good. It feels good. I don't and obviously it's not particularly healthy. And so like this podcast is a nice place. Books are a nice place. Yeah. Um Those like numbers where you go create so without the yeah, books have the slowest possible uh <laughs> like you've worked on it to getting feedback. Like I've been working on a uh book for I don't know six months now and i've I w- i've had one person give me any feedback on it at all so far so yeah um and and stand-up comedy uh is is a very different version of it where you spend a lot of time writing the show and then you get super immediate feedback on stage and you cannot write a good stand-up show without that and so you take that feedback back and then you change and you edit based on 
the immediate, like really immediate, there's a, the, like everybody gets the joke at the exact same time and everybody gives you their feedback about the joke at the exact same time, which right. is it, it's so like, it's so interesting to have created in so many different ways. But like, I think that for my health, it is probably good that the sort of short form text platforms are kind of imploding. At the same time, I also get a lot of good stuff from them. There's a lot of good community there. There's a lot of yeah. good connection. There's a lot of good data. And I am a little bit loath to lose them. So I've been thinking about other ways that we might stay in touch if if it looks like that's just not a healthy enough place for me. Um, right. Personally. I like a, a different people are different, of course, but like I just yeah. I think there's I think there's not a so much a problem with of course there's different platforms do different things and that matters. But there is just also something that's a little bit wrong with the idea of short form text. Um, well, we are yeah, so it seems like you're actually identifying two different problems. One is that your relationship with these platforms may not be so healthy. But you also recognize that we get a lot out of them, which is how I feel too, right? Like, frankly, I think it's unlikely that Danaher would have lowered their price of their tuberculosis test, resulting in 5 million more people every year getting access to tests if it hadn't been for Twitter. And so how can I be opposed to Twitter when it helped, you know, probably the most important thing, maybe the most important thing that I've been part of in my life? And so, you know- how can you be opposed to it? That's on the one hand. Yeah. Yep. On the other hand, how can you not be opposed to it? <laughs> <laughs> on the other hand, have you ever been on one of these places and seen what it does to people's brains? So there's the per- there, there's the personal part of it, right? Yeah. Um, but then there's this sort of almost like business part of it where our whole 17-year career online has been highly, highly dependent upon platforms. The yep. platform of YouTube, the platform of Twitter, to a lesser extent, the platform of TikTok, to an even lesser extent, the platform of Reddit. And that, you know, we've we've known for a long time, this is something Hank and I have talked about for, for, you know, more than a decade, that like if something happened to YouTube, if YouTube, what we used to call, we used to say, what happens if YouTube MySpaces? <laughs> In our private conversations with each other, we would be like, you know, if YouTube MySpaces Nerdfighteria is in big trouble and also like complexly as a business is in big yeah. trouble because Crash Course and SciShow and um, PBS Eons and everything else are in big trouble. And now YouTube hasn't MySpaced, which is wonderful. And we're very grateful to everybody who works at YouTube for that hard work of keeping it from MySpacing because there's nothing guaranteed about that, as we have lately learned from Twitter's 75% reduction in value over 12 months. Yep. Um, one of the greatest eliminations of value uh, since Enron. But, um, but you know, Hank and I are both concerned about that. And we're, you know, it would be great to have a way, it would be great to have a hub for the community that wasn't contingent upon a platform owned by a large media company. Now, of course, Gmail is still owned by Google, but email is less likely to go anywhere than anything else. On the other hand, I don't want to clog up people's inboxes unless I'm really adding value. And so this is this has kind of been the conversation that we've been having in the background. I like how this has become not so much a podcast as it is two brothers working through what they (laughs) want for the future of their lives and their their community. It's the first it's the first uh, one of the of the season, John. 
Um, it's the, yeah. it's the, the 2023 season, wait, 2024 season has yeah. begun. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know if you remember this, but I said a couple of weeks ago, what if the first podcast of the year is just us sort of talking through? <laughs> and you, yeah. see, you seem to have forgotten that I suggested that. I have forgotten about it because a lot happened since then. I haven't even told you. We haven't even talked about Christmas. Like we talked briefly on Christmas, but we haven't <laughs> talked about Christmas. What like, did I don't, say? There was oh, I don't, I don't even. I don't know what your kid got. You don't know yeah. what my kids got. I mean, this is this is something that's wrong with our relationship. If we're gonna yeah. let's finish the nerdfighter, what we're gonna do, what what the future of nerdfighteria looks like to us, but then let's talk about what the future of our brotherhood looks like to us. On, so, on the podcast or afterward? No, on the podcast. Okay. We've we got to have these conversations in public or we'll <laughs> never have them. Because there's something wrong with us, as you've just identified. <laughs> um, Do you think I, Travis and Jason Kelsey have this issue? Do you think, like, they're like, you know what? Let's just save it for the pod. I didn't know that that Travis had a brother. <laughs> So you don't you don't listen to their podcast? It's incredible. It's the second podcast? best podcast by brothers. Yes. Oh my god! It, it's Bim Bam, the Kelsey brothers, and then coming in a getting a bronze medal, but like in in a distant distant third, like but at six least laps here. down, but just happening to finish third is Dear Hank and John. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry that we don't don't have an amazing tradition where we name the year every year, and yeah. this year we named it fun fun twenty fungal or. After a magical mushroom wizard, which was a real treat for me and Catherine. Yeah, that's what Mabim Bam named the year. But I think that I I, I have two names for 2024 that I've been playing oh, around with, with your, my okay. kids. Okay. 2020 more. Like uh-huh. this is the year of this is the year of doing more. We and then 2020 20, okay. 2020 bore, which is, means this is the year of digging deep. Oh, okay. Like a and my hole. kids are like, oh, God, Dad, how about just like 2024 and you stop like asking us about our feelings all the damn time? <laughs> so other. So. So, yeah, I, I don't know. We may or may not do something interesting with the newsletter. If if you'd like to sign up for it, it's in the links of every of every Vlogbrothers video. Um, and yeah. as a lot of people signed up for it and we have been using it mostly to be like, hey, we're, we've launched this new project or hey, the cancer socks are for sale. And I, that feels a little bit uh, extractive rather than adding additive. And, and I'd, right. I'd like for that to change. Um, and, and I think that in general that the whole end of the year had a bit of that vibe. Q4 yeah. can be a little bit like that in general. Uh, but part but of here's that- here's the thing, Hank. Yeah. Here's the thing. It's true- that I felt it too. I was like, are we being extractive rather than additive? Which is a big thing that we think and talk about all the time. Um, because we really don't want to try to extract more value from our listeners or viewers yeah. than we add to their lives. Of course, like that's the number one goal. Yeah. But, but our efforts through the cancer socks and Good dot store and the coffee and the socks and and everything Pizza and miss, soap. Yeah, Pizzamus raised three and a half million dollars for stronger healthcare systems in impoverished communities this year. Yeah, and in total since 2019 have raised seven and a half million. This was by far our biggest year, but like we've had big years before, and so we're at seven and a half million dollars total. And I just don't think there is another way to raise that kind of money. Yeah. 
and while also providing good jobs and, you know, working with great teams of people and everything else that comes with it. So like, I, I get it that there were a lot of advertisements at the end of the year, but like one, it's Q4. I think people expect it to, that's quarter four for all of you. <laughs> that's, the, that's the end of the I year. Just, and the, as the I said, it, I, hated, I hated myself. Yeah. It's gift giving time. Um, it, it It's just like this business is really taking off. And yeah. it's doing a lot of good. And when something is taking off and doing a lot of good, you want to keep pushing it. And I felt, I remember feeling like that about The Fault in Our Stars. Like The Fault in Our Stars started to do well. And I started to talk about The Fault in Our Stars much more. And people started to be like, my God, this guy never talks about anything but The Fault in Our Stars. But I was like, <laughs> I was like, yeah, you don't but understand I see what's this, happening. Is this, I see like- this snowball rolling downhill and I want to like, I want it to get the momentum. And yeah. then it turned out that I didn't want it to have that much momentum. <laughs> then you're like, I gave that one last push. I probably shouldn't have pushed. Slow it down. Not the you had any control over it at that point yeah the i i saw somebody so like i made a video the uh that where i talked about how you know the goal is to eventually have good store donate as much money as newman's own has uh which i consider newman's own to be um you know a a, like a like a hero business like yeah they're the moon they're the moon in our night sky yeah (laughs) and we're trying and we're like we're trying to get to hit it with a rocket um, and somebody, <laughs> no, on... we're just trying to become a bigger star. <laughs> and uh, no, I want to be a bigger moon. I want to eat. I want to use. I want to build a, a charity Death Star, and I want to blow up Newman's Own. You want you want to buy Newman's Own and then just ruin it, like yeah. Musk then, on Twitter. I'll be like, my business is going to give all its money to charity. Newman's Own. Now you're going <laughs> to give all, all that money to oil companies just for fun. <laughs> I'm just trying to I'm I'm just out here trying to ruin the good name of Paul Newman, a lovely deceased man. Yes. Um, And somebody on the subreddit was uh, so I said, like, that's like six hundred million dollars. And somebody on the subreddit was like, from us. And I hadn't hadn't considered that it could be interpreted in that way. Um, No. Um, the, The thing that I like, we talked just a little bit about, like, extractive versus additive and like. I don't want anyone to buy anything because they feel like they have to. That would be extractive. Like I want people to right. buy the socks because they're like they feel good about the socks and they want socks or they want to give the gift the socks as a gift. Like I want that to be like the the very act of purchasing. I want to be additive. I want it to be delivering value. Like don't buy things if you don't feel like it's adding value. Like I'm not trying to guilt people into buying stuff. Right. Um, if you want to donate to charity, just donate, just to, donate charity. to charity. That's much yeah. much more efficient. Yeah. But. It's more like we're trying to find markets for socks and coffee yeah. and soap that exist already. Mm-hmm. People who are already buying that stuff and say, hey, there's a better way to buy this. This episode of Dear Hang John is brought to you by Thrive Market. Thrive Market is there to help you maintain the kinds of habits that you want to have. For me, I need to have the right kind of food in the house or I will eat whatever. Oreo recently sent me some free fancy Oreos. They were weird. I ate all of them. I ate all of them in a week and it was a problem. I can't do that. I need to have healthy, good stuff in the house and Thrive Market can help you have healthy habits. It's a great go-to for all your grocery and household essentials and the convenience of getting everything online and then like just quickly shipped to the doorstep. It's a huge time saver. Thrive Market carries brands with great ingredients and sourcing methods. They got Amy's, Banza, Burt's Bees, Trobani, Honest Kids, Kind, Mike's Hot Honey, Oatly, Olipop, Poppy, Salt, 
I've never heard of salt, but it's got two A's in it, so it has to be good. And as a Thrive Market member, you can save money on every single grocery order. On average, you can save over 30% every time. And they also have a deals page that changes every day. When you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order, plus a $60 free gift. I enjoyed my $60 free gift. I was surprised by it, and it was the kind of thing I wouldn't have bought. And then now I'm like on the ghee train. They gave me free ghee. And I was like, I don't know what ghee is. But then I was like, oh, this is great. It's like butter, but it's different and more spreadable. <laughs> Go to thrivemarket.com slash dearhank for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash dearhank, thrivemarket.com slash dearhank. This episode of Dear Hank and John is brought to you by ZocDoc. Look. There are, I think it's fair to say, some imperfections in the American healthcare system, but there are ways that it actually has recently gotten easier. I don't compromise on a lot of things, but I do not love feeling like I can't find the right doctor for me. And I've gotten very lucky that I have found some good doctors for me. When it comes to your health, there shouldn't be compromise. Don't go back to that one doctor who uses your appointment to catch up on the latest headlines slash their family group chat slash their crossword puzzles just because they're available right now or they happen to take your insurance. Instead, like you don't have to keep going back to a doctor who you don't like. You can check out ZocDoc, a place where you can find and book doctors who make you feel comfortable, who listen to you, who prioritize your health. And you can search by location, availability, and insurance type. So literally, no compromises. Because with ZocDoc, you've got more options than you think. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. Once you find the doc you want, you can book them immediately. No more phone calls and waiting on hold with a receptionist. We don't have time for this anymore. And these doctors all have verified reviews from actual real patients booking appointments with tens of thousands of top-rated, patient-reviewed, credible doctors and specialists. The typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between 24 and 72 hours. That's it. You can even sometimes score same-day appointments. Go to ZocDoc.com slash DearHank and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then you can book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash DearHank. ZocDoc.com slash DearHank. Every time I know it's coming, and I'm like, I'm going to have to say ZocDoc.com right now, aren't I? And then I do. I'm getting good at it, everybody. ZocDoc.com. You know one thing that Catherine got me for Christmas? What? Is tea, and it's so good! It's oh, that's so great good. news. So that's great good. news. Is like, this a good time to have the fight that we have about tea? Or should yeah, we have we that can in have, Let's have the fight in public. Everybody, great. let's fight. Let's do it. Okay. Um, so do you want to finish your point before I yell at you? <laughs> um, yeah, the, the, yes, great. I will. The point is that, um, that by adding value to folks who we have a close relationship with, we can do a few things. We can learn what's working well. We can, uh, hone the sort of packaging and the marketing and the, uh, and the customer support and all of that stuff with people who are maybe a little bit more forgiving than the average customer, which we, our customer support team very much appreciates. Thank you. We certainly are not perfect. We're growing quite quickly. We're not going to grow as fast as we did last year, this year. Um, and, uh, and so there were definitely some kinks to work out. So we like, and, and then the idea is hopefully, you know, there's there's way more people who sort of have like a vague positive association with John and Hank Green than they know 
than they've ever listened to an episode of Dear Hank and John or has have like seen um you know one of our YouTube videos on Vlogbrothers. You know, they've probably seen Crash Course or they've seen a TikTok or whatever. And so hopefully like the thing can become much bigger as we get good at figuring out the perfect like the great products and how to market them and etc. And then the much broader audience will be the one that, uh, you know, obviously we're not expecting to make $600 million off of 150,000 people. I am, in fact, not expecting to make $600 million, but I love your <laughs> ambition as always. It's fun to watch it happen, and I wouldn't bet against you because I've learned not to. Um, I do want to say one thing about that, which is that it's starting to happen and not just with people who have a vague positive association with you or me, but just with people who are like, wow, that's a cool business model and I like those socks or that's a cool business model and my friend says that's really good coffee. Yeah. And as evidence for that, I would point to the fact that our Facebook ads are working in a way that none of us imagined. Right. Yeah. So, and where Hank and I, just to state the obvious, are not on Facebook. <laughs> so, <laughs> for whatever not because, reason, for, the, we don't the, know why. The we thing genuinely, that it's Facebook not like, does does not it, hook into my brain. Like, yeah, it it's not that I we're do above not it. Feel compelled. It just doesn't it. give us the feeling. Yeah. Um, the way TikTok gives us the feeling, and like yep. to be clear, I I don't think that it's good to follow the feeling. I think that no, it leads I to a wanna, bad life. But <laughs> I want to figure out ways to not follow the feeling. Good luck getting me to stop. Um, yep. <laughs> right. So let's briefly fight about tea, and then um, we can talk about something else. Okay. So. Hank maintains that we should sell loose leaf tea to start and only loose leaf tea. Yep. I maintain that since the vast majority of people who drink tea drink bagged tea, yep. that we should make something that they can use. <laughs> I Look. think that we should sell to the majority of people, and I might be wrong, because like, here, let me let me, let me just counteract my argument before yeah, I even make it. Yeah, argue against yourself for me. To argue against myself, I remember there was a period where all the book covers that they designed for my books, that uh, my publisher designed for my books, were aimed at the YA market. Uh-huh. And they were like, the YA market likes pictures of girls, faces, uh-huh. and or pictures of girls with their heads cut off, which that's was what, even more common at the yes, time. Yeah. Just the torso big, of a girl. Yes. It was a huge thing in the world of YA book covers. And so they made me some of those covers, and they didn't do as well as the covers that were more sort of figurative or more text-based. And the reason for that is that like what the YA market wanted – was not what like my readers wanted and that appealing to like yeah. the, the people who were going to be my core readership actually led to more overall sales because word of mouth was better than just trying to like appeal to the broadest possible readership. So ju- that, that counteracts my argument. But I still maintain that since most people drink their tea in a bag and there's nothing wrong with that. It's not no. like it's like evil or anything, unless I'm missing something. <laughs> no. Then like, why don't we just make bag tea? Yeah, I mean, so the, there are a couple of things that are a little harder with bagged tea. Uh, okay. There's obviously another step. You have to get the tea into the bag. So sure. that adds some cost. Um, there are- So we charge a little more. 
you have to be at a different scale to start bagging tea. Um, uh, you don't have to, but like it helps to be at a different scale. Okay. So like because of that added cost, there's like equipment that is required. And okay. to invest in the equipment, you have to have a, a you know, you have to be selling a certain amount of tea. I think, and I, I, don't, I can't explain to you why, but when I make tea with loose leaf tea, I feel like I am engaging in a higher quality experience than when I make tea with a tea bag. And I don't like this doesn't make any sense. I recognize it doesn't make any sense, but it's like the ritual of it. And it's like yeah. the it's like the seeing of the leaves and that I get and I get to choose how much tea goes in. So you can't like put in half a half a bag of tea. And so like if yeah. I want it to be a little bit stronger, I can do two and a half teaspoons instead of or I just do one and a half teaspoons instead of one. Or if I want it, sometimes whoa, I want to make whoa, it a little Is that weaker. where they got the phrase teaspoon from? That's how much tea goes in tea is by one teaspoon. What? That's right. Next, you'll tell me that 12 ounces of Diet Dr. Pepper doesn't weigh 12 ounces. <laughs> um, they did it on the subreddit. It weighed like 12.9. I thought it weighed like 12.09. But anyway. Maybe. Some, I don't know. It was more. It didn't weigh 12 ounces. <laughs> so anyway, um, I'm going to argue against myself again because okay. that's my specialty. When we made coffee, uh, I think like 70% of the coffee market is ground coffee. And so when we first made coffee, we made 70% ground yeah. coffee, 30% yeah. whole bean. And that's what was for sale. You know, we had like 300 bags of of whole bean and 700 bags of ground. And about 80% of people bought whole bean coffee because it turns out the people who are, yeah. you know, wanting to, are really conscious of the, the supply chain and care about the, the, the farmers who are involved and the agricultural practices involved in, in all, and, and, and care about, you know, every part of Care about the, the flavor business. more too, like, like, you know. Like, yeah, think no, about, like whole bean yeah. coffee is definitely better than ground coffee, not to be yeah. a snob, but um, it's fresher, you know, whatever, it's better. And- and and it turned out that like the people who really cared about that stuff were the people who were most likely to be our customers because if you don't care about that stuff, um, then you're probably you know more likely to buy something at the grocery store, which yeah. is fine. Yeah, I'm not here to tell you not to buy grocery store coffee. Hell yeah, but if you can afford awesome coffee, I'll just tell you flat out, straight up, hundred percent, it's better. Can you taste the difference? Yes. Like if you do a blind taste <laughs> test, can you taste the difference? Absolutely. You can taste the difference. It makes yeah. a huge difference, but whatever, drink your coffee how you want to drink it. Good yeah, dot store. For sure. Um, that's where you get this stuff. <laughs> now I'm back to, I'm in my marketing mind. So like, maybe, maybe you're right that like, it's true that most people drink bagged tea, but like people who drink um, loose leaf tea are more likely to want to be customers of this tea company. Yeah, I don't know. I just like, I think that there's like a, there's an experience to making it the way that I make it. Um, and right, I get, but I, I, get but I just, I think there's a, a risk in thinking that everyone's like you. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I, and I also think that like th- here, like the reality is we're not going to be cheaper than twinnings. We're not going to be cheaper than Tetley. And right. Uh, and so, like, you have, like, th- there's a different experience. So you're selling, yeah. like, a better product. And yeah. to have the better product look different and act mm-hmm. different in a, mm-hmm. in a specific way kind of expresses the fact that it's a better product. And, like, trust me, it's a better product. Like, I have had a lot of black tea in my life. I like tea. And it's just, like, 
so delightful to have tea that is actually good in the United States yeah. of America, which is not uh, yes, easy. I, I agree with you, but whole bean coffee is better than ground coffee, and we still sell ground coffee because yeah. lots of people use for it sure. and need it, and it's better for them. And I don't yep. want to. I don't want to tell people what's best for them. I don't think like down that road lies good marketing. I think we provide people with choice. Yeah. But I hear you that we're not going to be able to compete on price, especially with bag tea. And so what are we competing on? We're competing on experience. We're competing on taste. Yeah. We're competing on it just being better overall. And yeah. maybe that's the only way we can win is with loose leaf tea. Yeah. And I mean, eventually, like the like the cost will get lower, which right. is a great- Well, I, I, you might be surprised. The cost of coffee has not gotten lower. No, it's true. It's hard. It's hard. Um, I think that I think that there are ways we, you know, we're still at the beginning. Hopefully. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe we're not. And I'd be fine if we weren't. I think that we are still at the beginning of this whole idea. Yeah, I think we have to be. I mean, if you look at the fact that it's already raised seven and a half million dollars for charity, like you have to think it's it has the opportunity to keep growing. And if we do a good job, it will keep growing. And so we need to, it's something we definitely need to focus some of our time and, and attention on. Yeah. But I also don't want to lose sight of the fact that Nerdfighteria is not primarily a testing ground or a customer base or anything like that. It's primarily a community. And one of the ways you see that expressed, you see it expressed in lots of different ways. You see it expressed in memes, right? In like discords and reddits and everything else. Mm -hmm. But one of the ways you see it expressed is that it's not only raising money that does good. It's not only um, shifting buying habits that um, leads to societal good, right? Like that's not the only way to engage with big society-wide problems. And, you know, the the Global Fund, I don't know how much to talk about this, so I'm going to talk about it a little elliptically, but <laughs> the Global Fund uh, gave a big talk recently where they were like, how much money has been saved by the lowering of prices of tests and treatments that the Global Fund negotiated, okay? Okay. So that's the lower price of bedaquiline, the drug made by Johnson & Johnson, and the lower price of these tests made by Cepheid, which is owned by Danaher. Uh -huh. Now, the Global Fund did negotiate those deals. I would say they negotiated them with a little bit of help. <laughs> um, and the answer is it's like more money than it's like $70 million. Yeah. And it's like $70 million that goes right very efficiently into expanded access to tuberculosis treatment, right? Because it's $70 million the Global Fund was going to spend that now they're not going to spend. And so instead they get, but the money is still there. So instead they get to spend it on more tests and mm -hmm. more treatment availability. And that was accomplished. Nerdfighteria's part in that, which was, of course, only part of that, and in, in the case of Bedaquiline, a small part. But Nerdfighteria's part in that was accomplished through collective action, through working together, through having that kind of, you know, ability that that I think is almost unique to Nerdfighteria and online communities to stick to something, mm -hmm. like, you know, for longer than 24 hours. 
and or or longer than a week or a month or whatever. Like once we get our teeth into something, I mean, I almost feel bad for Danaher because our teeth are into something, and like they think that it's over, and it's just it's just not. Like it's going to be over when we win, which is what you know. I think eventually Johnson and Johnson realized is that yeah. like this ends this ends when the activists win, and so we're going to back down. Um, but yeah, I think like that's an incredible talent that that this community has and it's one of many that like exists way outside concepts of uh economic productivity yeah and i think that's really important to remember and the real reason we want to maybe do the newsletter is that we want to encourage those parts of the community to be able to to have a new place to thrive yeah i mean i'm glad that you're that you're into it um and well, uh, I don't want to do any work on it though, Hank, because I'm so I I, I have too much work. I know I got to finish a book about tuberculosis this year. It's I think it's going to come out this year. I know. I hope it does. I hope it does. My book is not going to come out this year. Um, I wish it would. It's 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 hard. Um, I know, man. Yeah the the uh, the only thing that writes a book is time, and the sitting down and. And it's funny, like I did did this like I do every time, where I was like, "Here's what I'll do: I'll just take the stuff that I wrote for the stand-up. It's going to be then I'll, easy. Like slightly modify it yep. into yep. a book. And this then, one is going to be easy. I've got, I tell I've myself, got I have an jokes. incredible capacity I've, to tell myself that every time. Yeah, I've written this story. It's just the story of my cancer, and I'm not going to try to do anything more than that. And then the the creep. The the mission creep immediately sets in, and I'm like, yep. well, what if? And oh, yep. this would be really cool. And if I did this alongside that, then it would actually be like a really interesting, and it could be really useful. And here's another way it could be helpful to people. And here's one way where I think like, oh, what if? What if you like think about it as you know the cancer that like the, the science guy not the cancer guy the science guy got cancer, and so like, how does it feel as a guy who knows a lot and thinks a lot about? science and how science works and how like humanity has progressed in its ability to treat disease. How does it feel when like you're suddenly the story, when the story becomes you mm-hmm. and all of the research that has been done over the last hundred years is in your veins right now. Mm-hmm. And like all that, I'm like, ah, that's so much better than what I could do, you know, in 45 minutes on a stage and I could right. get so much deeper into it. It could be so helpful. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, now I really have to be like, okay, but I cannot talk about every way that a cancer treatment could possibly work because, of course, there are, you know, hundreds of cancer treatments and they work in dozens of different ways. Right. Uh, it turns out cancer is very complicated. And so I can't tell the whole story of cancer. I don't, I was, was not intending to, but now I have to find where to draw the lines. It's really hard. Yeah, so you have to make space for mission creep because that's where the ambition in the project lies. Yeah. It's very similar, although I don't have TB. I just got tested. Um, It's very similar to my relationship with that book, which is that I started off thinking um, I'm going to write a history about TB that's going to be about why the period where we romanticize tuberculosis is not that different from the period where we stigmatize tuberculosis. And yeah. that's a pretty straightforward story. It takes place in the mid eight mid eighteenth to early twentieth centuries, and bing bang boom, 
But then I was like, except that like you can't really talk about tuberculosis without talking about how it's always been an expression and form of injustice. Yeah. And once you're doing that, you've got to talk about the present, right? Like you can't leave mm-hmm. that in 1922 because it's more it's a more pressing issue now than it was even in the early 20th century. And then you're telling a contemporary story. And exactly. But then you have to decide, you have to let that mission creep happen because that's what makes, I'm sure your book about your cancer is going to be amazing. And that's what makes the book good. But then you have to also say enough. Yeah. You have to find a way to say that's, that's good. Yeah. And also once you've done that, then you have to go back through the book and make sure that it all makes sense. Right. And is paced at all in any sensical way. You know, has an arc, has a narrative yeah. drive so that people want to keep reading, et cetera. Yeah. yeah. So I want you to do that this year really badly for me, for the world. I don't want to lose the opportunity to have that Hank Green book because Hank gets busy with a million other things. And that's always the tension. Like, we're so lucky to be in a place where we have enough work that we get to make choices, but we do have to make those choices. Yeah. It's tricky. So what choice are you going to make? What's the next year look like for you? Or are you not ready to make a commitment here on January 3rd? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Because you'll remember my commitment at the beginning of 2023 was that I was going to take it down a notch. And five months later, I was the CEO of two mid-sized American corporations. (laughs) (laughs) I was, I think, I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but I was reading through all of the survey responses from last year and and before i had gotten cancer there were so many people saying i'm worried about hank's health yeah um i think i didn't say that last time well what i will say is i've already looked at the the calendar and it's it's remarkably full um i am for example going to southern california to do five-ish nights of stand-up followed by the one that will get recorded to be released uh as yet I cannot talk about how it will get released. Um, well, can you tell me? I can tell you, yeah. What? How? Okay, well, we're going to cut. Tuna, don't put this in. Is, All right. What do you think about well, that, John? I think that's so cool. Um, <laughs> I already have a subscription, so I don't even need to sign up for anything. <laughs> can I say that? I don't know if you can, but we'll I leave it I in anyway. <laughs> I, I'm subscribed to freaking everything. I even have a it's, Paramount Plus membership. I'll say it's not Netflix. Um, no, no, don't no, don't think that I don't think that I've got some uh, <laughs> that happening. Um, I don't. But I didn't know how it worked. So I said to, to the guy who does, I was like, how does it work? And he was like, you're not going to that's not going to happen for you, my man. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I, Maybe in 30 years. Yeah. It's like when I asked Mark Watson if, if he thought I could ever be on Taskmaster. And he said, well, you could do like you could start out with a. With like a small set at Edinburgh Fringe and work your way up from there. And I was like, thank you so much for putting me in my place. I really appreciate that. That's I really needed that. Thank you. I think you'd be great on Taskmaster for the record. You know, who else thinks he'd be great on Taskmaster is me. Hank Green. Hank Green. God, to have Hank Green's confidence to wake up every day and be like, you know what this world needs? My stand-up special and my book. <laughs> anyway, if you want, if you're in the Southern California area, I'm going to be everywhere from uh, like Oxnard down to San Diego. If the oh, tickets man. are not on sale yet uh, for all of those shows, they're they are for some of them. 
And you can find that in the links of my most recent Vlogbrothers video. Wow. This podcast that was going to be all about how we need to focus on being additive <laughs> instead of being extractive has suddenly become a little extractive. Well, the, sh the two shows that I'm doing that are getting filmed are free. So there's okay. that at least. Okay. All right. We have to go, I belatedly realize. So oh I'm going to give you a... I'm going to give you the news from AFC Wimbledon real quick. I hope you enjoyed this podcast where Hank and I just talked like we regularly talk to each other. Next week, we'll be back with uh, dubious advice and more question ask answering. But uh, the news from AFC Wimbledon is is mixed. Um, we lost to Sutton United, our South London rivals, which was unfortunate because they're uh, at the bottom of the table. Um, but then we absolutely flummoxed. I believe Colchester 5-3. Uh, we scored some phenomenal goals, including one by Ali Alhamidi. And I know what you're wondering. It's January. Uh, is Ali Alhamidi going to leave AFC Wimbledon? We don't know yet. The, mm. the word on the street is maybe, but it's not yet certain. So we, we cling to hope like a buoy in the open ocean. Yeah, let's do that. Because so, several of those other goals it, it certainly had him involved in them. Oh, yeah. He, he's, he's overwhelmingly our best player right now. Hey, what's the news from Mars? Um, it's looking like it might be more volcanically active than we once thought. Oh. So Mars does not have tectonic plates, uh, which is why the volcanoes are so big, because they just keep happening in the same spot over and over again. Uh, oh. it's, it's sometimes thought to be, because there's no plates, it's sometimes we think of it as being geologically inactive. But- as we learn more about Mars quakes, that does not seem to be the case. Last year, scientists were studying the Elysium Planitia region, and uh, that showed that hotter magma under that area could have driven seismic and volcanic activity. To further study that, the University of Arizona's Lunar and Planetary Laboratory has been looking at images and data from the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter to reconstruct what the area below the surface, like wake. 500-ish feet below the surface might have looked like in the past, finding evidence of more than 40 volcanic events. These are, wow. uh, th this, uh, we, we certainly are very interested in volcanic stuff on Mars because one thing that Mars has is water and another thing that it has is heat. And so if those things can come together, then they wouldn't be ice. So there could be ways that that might harbor, have once harbored life or even could continue harboring life. So that's very exciting because it certainly appears that in the distant past, Mars didn't just have oceans. It also would have had hydrothermal vents, which are the kinds of places where life uh, maybe can get started. That's where we got it. That's what we think. It's looking more like that. That's, the, that's one of the big arguments going on. We still don't know where the life came from, John, or all of the stuff. Yeah. Well, we don't even know why there's stuff in the universe. So Yeah, that's... Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for potting with me. Thanks for potting with me, John. I hope that everybody liked this one. Uh, and sorry, it was weird. We'll be back with normal next time. This podcast is edited by Joseph Tunamedish. It's produced by Rosiana Hals-Rojas. Our communications coordinator is Brooke Shotwell. Our editorial assistant is Dabuki Chakravarti. The music you're hearing now and at the beginning of the podcast is by the great Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown, don't, don't forget, forget to be, be awesome. awesome.